Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. I want to share, it's really good to be back with you this Sunday after a trip that we took last week to North Carolina. Many of you know that that was a long-awaited trip to visit our daughter, uh, Abigail, who graduated uh, a year ago, December, and is working back there. Among other things, uh, we took in the sights, we ate lots of good food, and we bought books at, at, get this, two real bookstores. I had almost forgotten what it was like uh, to be perusing the shelves in a, in a real bookstore. Uh, we also visited the Biltmore Estate, and we uh, saw the Van Gogh Alive exhibit. As a uh, lifelong West Coaster, I had actually never heard of the Biltmore Estate until our daughter went to college near Asheville, North Carolina. So if you're ever in the area, some of you have definitely been there, but if you're ever in the area and uh, haven't, haven't been there, I recommend a visit. Uh, that estate is 175,000 square feet. That's a lot of house. And, uh, but we really, the grounds and the gardens are really amazing. It really was the birthplace of modern forestry, which makes it especially amazing. Uh, as I return, it is just in time for our final week in our seven-week exploration of the letter uh, written to the Ephesians called Geared Up for Life. Last Sunday, Dr. Lodal was with you, and we're blessed to have Dr. Lodal, professor of, of uh, theology and world religions at Point Loma Nazarene College, who's willing to come and, and share with us. But he focused last week on Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, and, and the encouragement that we find in those verses to, to what he said is imbibe the Holy Spirit and, and maybe even get tipsy on the Holy Spirit. And I think as a Nazarene, Nazarenes even more than, than Methodists are, are teetotalers, and so that was a little risky probably for him to share. But to imbibe on the Holy Spirit as God continues to transform uh, the world uh, through Christ Jesus. Our reading for this week is, uh, comes near, near the end. We're at Ephesians 6, 10 uh, through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the diabolos. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness 
as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet, helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. Well, there's just a few more verses, closing verses after that. So in these uh, near closing verses, the writer of Ephesians envisions the church as engaged in a cosmic battle. And the clear implication is that the community of believers will not be able to withstand the assault of the spiritual forces of this present darkness by relying on our own strength. That's why it stands, says stand in the strength of his power. For this reason, the church, the koinonia, as Dr. Lodal mentioned last week, the fellowship that is the church is urged to put on the whole armor of God. And, and please keep in mind that every time the word you is used in this passage, it is in the plural. You all. The components uh, of this armor listed in our reading would have been familiar uh, to the early Christians who are in those churches dispersed in Asia Minor to whom this letter was initially written. Accustomed as they were to the sight of battle-ready soldiers positioned across the Roman Empire, each piece of this equipment that is mentioned, the belt, breastplate, uh, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword, they are all part of the warrior garb of a Roman soldier deployed to uphold an oppressive totalitarian regime. Remember, this is the regime that executed Jesus as a rabble-rousing nuisance and would execute many more Christians uh, for that same reason. And yet, these familiar components uh, of the Roman armor are transmuted in Ephesians 6 into distinctly Christian pieces of equipment. Well, the, both of the, the types of armor are intended to leave no part of the body unprotected, the whole armor of God is markedly different than the government issue of the Roman Empire. And this is because the earliest Christians would not participate in violence. They were considered terrible citizens because they would not take part uh, in the military. So let's consider each element of this spiritual armor. 
First is the belt of truth. Now, two Sundays ago, I focused on truth-telling, and I lamented how politicians and media pundits and celebrities and even popular preachers seem more and more willing to manipulate and distort the truth in order to justify their preferred ends. In a world of spin, of purposeful deception, of outright deceit, a world spellbound by outlandish QAnon conspiracy theories, truth becomes more and more precious and crucial. It is not true that even the noblest ends are okay to achieve through ignoble means. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it is just before that, in John 8, that, that Jesus had told his disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So Jesus is saying, the truth is, is a relationship with me. And, and so anyone who is committed to Jesus will be committed to the truth. So partial truths, any distortion of truth, that all falls short of what we have come to know in Christ Jesus. We must be committed to truth even if it is inconvenient for our personal agenda. Next on the list of equipment is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of a Roman soldier, I learned this week, was called the Lorica Sigmata. As that name suggests, it was a segmented series of iron strips that were joined together by hooks or straps that covered the chest and the shoulders. While the segments provided layered protection for the vital organs like the heart and the gut, it also allowed for some freedom of movement, unlike that armor that was in the children's sermon that was rigid. The Christian breastplate, according to Ephesians 6, is righteousness. Now, biblically speaking, righteousness entails being faithful in our relationships. And our model for what, uh, what righteousness in relationships looks like is Jesus. Jesus was righteous in his relationship with God, faithful in his relationship with God. So too was he faithful in his relationship with us, even to people who fled his side. So righteousness is not, and I think this is really important, righteousness is not, uh, as we might mistakenly believe, um, a form of heightened religious piety. I think that's how we hear that word, righteousness. But really, righteousness is striving to imitate the faithfulness of Christ in word and in deed. Verse 15 then tells us, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Now, I confess that when I look at my 
shoe choices, I most often ask myself which shoes are going to ask, are going to most fit what I'm wearing. I don't look in my shoe closet and say, which one of these is going to make me ready to proclaim the gospel of peace? Now, the standard military footwear of the Roman soldier was called a caliga or a, or a half boot. And it was designed, that particular shoe was designed with two purposes in mind. One was to enable solid footing on the battlefield. So uh, in our passage, we have this language of standing firm, right? But it was also to allow the legions to move quickly. And so the encouragement of this verse is that we would be ready to move quickly whenever and wherever we need to proclaim the gospel of peace. Now, next Sunday is the beginning of the four-week season of Advent that comes right before our celebration of Christmas. And we are going to remember uh, during that time how the prophet Isaiah declared that the Messiah, the anticipated Messiah, would be the Prince of Peace. In the Gospel of Luke, the priest Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, He proclaims the coming of a child who will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And then, of course, in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Well, next on the list is the shield of faith. And one of the standard tactics of battle in the ancient world was to fire flaming arrows uh, into the ranks of the enemy, a tactic that was designed to get individual soldiers to to drop uh, their shield, uh, thus exposing them to attack. So Roman shields, uh, as an innovation, were made of heavy wood, but they were covered with a layer of leather that could be soaked in water before entering the battle, Uh, and so if that arrow hit that that shield, it would extinguish the the flaming projectile. But this idea of the shield also conveys the idea of cohesion between members of the community as they face spiritual attack. And this is because the The soldiers would stand side by side with their shields close together when they were under attack. And so the shield of faith is not something that we hold on to just to protect ourselves. It is to protect each other. Again, why the word you being plural is so important in this passage. Verse 17 then encourages us to take up two more items to complete our armor. Uh, And and I think these are more interrelated than we sometimes think. One is the helmet of salvation, and then the second is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, just as a a breastplate uh, protects the heart and vital organs, a helmet protects the head. And the head, of course, is that part of, of all of us that gives us the ability to reflect, to think, to learn. 
Paul had emphasized the importance of reflection and learning in Romans 2.12. He did it in a lot of places, but I just love this particular place. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's no accident, then, that the final item, the last piece of equipment, the sword is, he calls it the word of God, upon which we are called to study and reflect. But remember that Scripture also calls Jesus the word of God. So it's not simply the Bible. It is also the word of God that is Jesus. And, and, and this a sword could be considered out of all this list, the only item on the list that is actually on a, a weapon of offense rather than defense. But the logic of the passage is that we go on the offense with the good news of Scripture. And this is an echo of Hebrews uh, 4.12, which affirms, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So this sword is about words. Words that do not take away life, but rather give life meaning. We proclaim the word to others to give life meaning, and we read the word to give our lives meaning. It, it, this is because the Roman sword was a double-edged sword. So the word of God is meant to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts the heart of the believing community. Okay, so I think that's a lot to digest. Um, but I do want to end this seven-week passage. I want to say, number one, um, we put all of these messages in a podcast version. So now that the series is complete, those are, it's just the sermon on the podcast, and you can revisit this and see kind of the logic and progression of this letter to the Ephesians, and how it all goes together. But I do want to end the same way. I think it's fascinating that where it ends is this invitation to be prayerful, to be praying in the Spirit, which is so important for all of us. And, and I also ask, uh, I, I want to invite you, please be praying for me um, so that whenever I speak, I may be given a message and be and make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, which according to our reading is the gospel of peace. Would you pray with me? Loving God, throughout our exploration of Ephesians, we have found that you want to equip us with the ability to live lives of faithfulness to Christ Jesus.
God, whatever is lacking, wherever we need another piece of equipment, whether that be truth or righteousness or peace or um, any of these uh, things that uh, make up the armor of God, your armor, God, help us to uh, be willing to receive these as a gift of your Holy Spirit. God, make us ready to serve you as we go from this place. In Christ's name we pray, amen.